0: Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Bible in the News. We had what appears to be an attempt at a coup in Russia this week. The Wagner Private Military Corporation, who has been doing many things for Putin and fighting his wars for him and so on, they turned around and started marching on Russia itself. They went back over the border from Ukraine. They took over a key city with the military headquarters for the south. And they uh, were rolling along, took other um, localities on the way, and uh, were heading up to Moscow. It was quite an amazing thing, unprecedented for recent years move in Russia. When we look at Russia as Bible students, we are always interested because it plays a key role in end-time prophecies. One of those places that we are always referring to because it gives us so many details about how the nations are and the time when the final battle happens, that battle of Gog and Magog, as it's sometimes called, or Armageddon. Um, So expressing this sentiment in the preface to Elpis, Israel, John Thomas says that the future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times because they are predicted in the scriptures of truth. The Russian autocracy in its plenitude and on the verge of its dissolution is the image of Nebuchadnezzar standing upon the mountains of Israel, ready to be smitten by the stone. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things as presently constituted is at hand. The long-expected but stealthy advent of the king of Israel will be on the eve of becoming a fact. And salvation will be to those who not only looked for it, but have trimmed their lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom and to obedience of faith and the perfection thereof in fruits meet for repentance. So when we see things like this happen in Russia, it's good to to reflect on events and and see how it might affect these things coming together as we watch them, to try and understand exactly how everything will fit together and... um, the picture becomes clearer as time goes on of exactly what is happening in front of us on the world stage. So what we've seen then is this mercenary group heading on up towards Moscow and seemed to be threatening to, to take over. There, was, there were sections of the Russian military that were joining with them. They were uh, walking through unhindered with very little attack on them. There was some Air attacks, and they shot down at least one Russian helicopter. Uh, so it was quite it was quite dramatic. It was quite a thing. It looked like there was going to be an actual coup, and maybe Putin would be kicked out, or there would be a civil war, or something along those lines. Here's a map of uh, the progress that they made. So they started down at the bottom in that uh, Rostov-on-Don coming over from Ukraine, and then they were working their way forward and uh, getting very close maybe into the suburbs of Moscow when the deal was made and they uh, started turning around and withdrawing back south again. So as we look at it then, there, there wasn't actually a coup. Putin was not removed from power. Nothing like that happened. Um, what is, will this have any bearing going forward? It could just settle back to the status quo and not really come to anything. Um, the spirits of rebellion could have been stirred and we could see something start up again. Putin could consolidate power and use this to his advantage in some way. Is there a way in which it's not over? And Prashin uses this uh, as a way to, to get more support and take it from here. It doesn't look like that's going to happen at this point, but um, you know we look at the options and see where this might possibly lead. And as we consider that, are there any, is there anything in the Bible that might uh, give us a little bit of, of an inkling of, of where things ought to be going in Russia and, and maybe be able to place events in, in context of what God is doing with Russia at this time? Perhaps the key passage that we always like to refer to and um, helps us to understand the position of the various nations at the time of the end is Ezekiel chapter 38. Um, so we, when we read through the first verses there, there's a description of this power that comes from the north and the different uh, peoples, the different nations that are joining together to unite themselves against Israel on the mountains of Israel. So let's read it once again together to refresh our memories. Ezekiel chapter 38, starting at verse 2, says, Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and thou will <inaudible> turn thee <to> into <inaudible> hooks of thy jaws, and thou will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them, clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company, with bucklers and with shields and with helmets and with swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Dagarma of the north quarters, and all his bands, and many people with thee. Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. So as we've talked about in the past, there's various things that you can glean from this. Brief kind of breakdown. So we start at the, the top of the, the passage in um, you know, in verse 2 and 3, there's kind of a description of, it seems like maybe the core force that's initiating this, the head of this group. It, it talks about Gog, who is the, the, it says the chief prince. That's actually, it's more likely the prince of Rosh. Um, most translations take it that way. Um, one of them is here. This is the ASV, son of man, set thy face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So he's the, the prince of, rather than um, taking, so the, the, um, the word Rosh in, in Hebrew it can mean head, but, um, so it could be the, the chief, the head of, of something, but it's also, could be taken as a proper name. Rather, and if you look at Russian history, the Rus, Rosh, and like these uh, words, as they, as you go from one language to another, they, they change form a little bit as the transliterations kind of morph the words. But that's essentially was the name of Russia. So, um, Son of Man, set thy face toward Gog of the land of Magog. So that's the first thing to notice is it's of the land of Mago. Now, I'm not sure that I'm confident enough to say that Ukraine is the land of Mago. But as you look at the history books, and you look at the maps, and you look, it's tied to the ancient Scythians, and you go through everything, it's, it's hard to call somewhere Mago without at least a good part of Ukraine. So as you look at Russia today, is there anything about Russia that particularly makes you think this is the, uh, this is the power from the land of Magog? A lot of the part that was Magog is in those, those states that kind of crumbled away after the Soviet Union broke up. So I believe that by the time Ezekiel 38 is actually coming to pass... You'll, you'll read that and you'll say, ah, the land of Magog of course. We'll uh, jump off the page and we'll understand better. But for sure, that, that that locality has to be involved at this time when this conflict is taking place. And as we move on and look at the other parts of this primary power, we see other things that speak to us of Russia. Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Um, Rosh is the ancient name, the ancient peoples, the the Rus. Um, Meshach, as you can tell it's similar sounding to Moscow. We we believe that it's referring to areas of Russia. And Tubal as well, it's a little bit harder to place, but there's a place called Tubolsk in Russia, and it's hard to come up with something better than it being an area of Russia. And then as we move further down then we have people further removed that are with them, and by the time you work everything out, you've got Uh, A vast confederacy covering most of Europe, and um, if not all, and then other people with them from um, Arab countries, North and African, Iran, a lot. We're not going to go through all of that uh, right now. That's not our purpose. We're just particularly looking at Russia, things that might help us to understand the events that we're seeing in front of us at the moment. Another place that we could turn to is Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11 tells us about how the events work forward in a slightly broader context. Whereas Ezekiel 38 is focused particularly on Israel and gives us a lot of details for that um, exact battle, Daniel chapter 11 gives us a little wider picture and a bit more context. So if we read the particularly key few verses here, Daniel chapter 11 starting at verse 40 and at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him if we parallel this with Ezekiel chapter 38 the king of the south then we're talking about those tarshish nations the ones that are lined with the powers that are south of Israel places like Saudi Arabia Egypt Arab states so we see the southern power is contending with the king of the north. And then this king of the north is roused and moves like a whirlwind and comes against him. So if the him is the king of the south, then um, that has great implication. Um, World war likely. Uh, Which which it also says elsewhere that God will shake all nations. So expect there to be uh, essentially a world war. So this, this this would fit in that maybe this is how this world war comes to pass. Um, So, anyway, moving on, we see, we just want to look at the character of him particularly here, and we see that he is a warmonger, he's marching around, going in from one country to the next. Um, It's hard to imagine, if if this, at the beginning of this section, is not world war, then, um, and it's not that the the King of the South, the West, as we like to call it, is um, weakened by military fighting, then um, the West has been reduced in influence and power and ability enough that there can be this power marching around the world, and they seem to do very little about it. Moving back then to current events, the events that we've seen before us in the last day or two. Who is this group? Um, In the past, they've acted like a bit of a secret weapon for Putin. He's been able to use them and deploy them and give himself that sort of um, plausible deniability that he likes to use. And He can say with a straight face that he's not doing it. The Russian troops are not doing it because um, it's this Wagner group that is either... um, pushing out misinformation, or they're uh, fighting his battles for him. They've done all kinds of things all over the world. The last few years in the Ukraine conflict, they've massively grown in size. I I read that they're now from what they were about a thousand, they're now up to about 50,000 soldiers. But now perhaps this group will dissolve. We're not exactly sure. Um, the leader of the group is taking refuge in Belarus um, and charges against him are being dropped and the fighters are given being, being given the opportunity apparently to sign a military contract with Russian government so they're more directly controlled by Putin or uh, to or to return to civilian life so the the name of the group I think it's interesting because, One of Putin's excuses for going into Ukraine is that he wanted to de-Nazify Ukraine. He'd point out to the Nazi links, which are absolutely real. I spent time looking into um, exactly how much of this there is. There was a Jewish website that I found that listed all the monuments and things that had been erected even since 2014, like not just old stuff that's left from the Second World War, but all these commanders and fighters and Um, people that were allied with Nazi Germany, collaborators that helped Germany achieve their goals in Ukraine. They're putting up monuments and statues, some renaming streets and all this kind of thing after these guys. So it's extremely difficult to try and maintain the position that there's not Nazi elements in Ukraine. There just absolutely is. Putin is correct there is Nazi influence, there's neo-Nazism in Ukraine. Is he that worried about it? Is that why he's there? Well, his paramilitary group that was doing much of his work for him, the name of the group Wagner comes from the name of Hitler's favorite music composer, Richard Wagner. Russians actually refer to the group as the orchestra or things similar to that, referring directly to Richard Wagner, who they're named after. So if you do a quick search about um, Richard Wagner on the internet, you will come up with things like this. This website um, shows you about the man. It shows how that the things that he was, he wasn't just a music composer. He was also uh, an anti-Semite. He had ideas that were very similar to Hitler's ideas, that Nazi ideology, even before um, Hitler. Um, So it's not just that Hitler liked his music, but um, he had uh, a a larger sort of um, ideological connection with the man. So for the Wagner group, the Wagner group, to name themselves after this composer is, is quite a thing. It really is... It's harking back to the Nazi era and has associations of anti-Semitism and, uh, and Nazism. So for Putin to say that his big goal is to get rid of um, the neo-Nazis, it really, it, it starts to kind of not make that much sense. So where does it go from here? Will Wagner become a thing of the past? Will it just be a, a flash in the pan that maybe shapes events a bit and is some sort of scaffold for how things go, or will we see more of this? It's not totally sure. It's looking a bit more like the like Wagner is done and it will dissolve away now. Maybe Putin will. It's looking like he will consolidate power. Um, he's looking to get rid of those threats. It's also possible that Putin will now feel a bit like a, an injured animal, maybe an injured bear, if you will. As Russia is always the bear. Um, and, and as such, will Putin be more aggressive? Will he take on that more confrontational role? Will he crack down inside the country and try and um, resolve the Ukrainian crisis um, in a more decisive way and throw more behind it? We don't know. Time will tell, and um, all we can say is, as we look at events marching forward, We can see things getting closer and closer to the picture that we expect at the time of the end. This has been Tim Billington joining you, and join us again next week for more Bible in the News, God willing.